Hello and welcome to another episode of the 1970 Podcast. I'm your host, Ed, and joining me as always is my co-host, Mark Damon. And this is the Lionel Messi Reaction Podcast. He's a PSG player. No, just kidding. Messi to PSG is not official yet, but there's plenty of rumor and speculation. We'll get into that. We'll get into the 1-0 defeat to Bayern Munich in the Champions League. We'll get into a few other things. We've got a, a couple more uh, Twitter questions as well, so we'll get into the. Uh, we'll answer some of those questions. But first, let's get the pleasantries out of the way. Mark, how have you been? I'm doing pretty well. You know, I think it's been nice to sort of relax a little bit after sort of the the stress of having a two week Champions League run and all those you know high stress games back to back. So it's been kind of nice to like. De- uh, decompress a bit and just sort of get a bit of a, a view away from the whole thing and uh, I mean it was a it was a heck of a heck of a run and I I feel like I, I don't feel um, I'll just get it out of the way now I don't feel really disappointed I don't necessarily feel all that sad and I'll kind of explain why as we go along mm-hmm. but it, it, overall I feel like this was a good um, this was a good experience overall and I think there's a lot of lessons that are gonna be learned from it and we go forward from here I guess I mean a lot's you know a lot's already sort of changed in the last week so you know yeah. we'll see what we'll see what the next week holds but I feel like um, I, I feel good I'll say that's a long circuitous way of saying that I feel good. Yeah, we all were like, oh, we want to get to the Champions League final. But then when we got there, like I was a nervous wreck, you know, and then the game didn't go our way. And it's almost like maybe it would have been better to not reach it. But who? that's crazy talk. Of course, we're glad to get there. But it was very stressful. Like you said, last couple of weeks, it was just mayhem. And you thought that, OK, we could take maybe a couple of days off. But here we are, PSG. Their next game is on September 10th. And then... You know, the Champions League will start back up, you know, soon after that. So we're in the thick of it. There's no break. <laughs> it's a never-ending cycle. Like, football never stops, really. It just it takes breaks, like small breaks, but it never really actually ends. You're always on to the next thing. And even if PSG had won the Champions League this year, we'd already be thinking about the next fucking thing that we'd have to <laughs> That we would have to do like we'd already be thinking about the transfer window and mm-hmm. messy and all this stuff and it's just it's 24 7 365 so mm-hmm. there is really no time to smell the roses although i tried to do that this week i really mm-hmm. i really took and made a concerted effort to try it and i think now we're about five days out from the match i can sort of give my my quick reflections and then sort of spin us forward to what we're going to be looking at for the next sort of month or so as psg sort of recover yeah, so that's what I want to do. Let's. We haven't gotten your thoughts. We, um, the guys over on the PSG Talking Podcast, I hosted that, and everyone gave their thoughts. And it was like literally thirty minutes after the final whistle um, of the Champions League final. But we haven't had your thoughts. So one nil to Bayern. Former PSG player Kingsley Coman, 59th minute, a header at the back post was the difference. You know, Mbappe, Neymar weren't their usual self. I think you could blame most of that on what Bayern did. Um, but this was not the PSG that we saw leading up to this game. And do you think they ran out of gas? Do you think it was what Bayern did? Or do you think that this was just a failure to show up on the big stage? All right. So I'll, I'll go pick big picture first. I think that what PSG proved in this run was that they could overcome their sort of Champions League, you know, hoodoo and, and weird mystical, uh, 
bad karma that they've had, all those bad losses, all those teams they should have beaten that they didn't, the four nothing lead against Barcelona that they blew. I think they were able to get all of that stuff out of the way. And I think they finally climbed that mountain. But what I think we learned is that that is not the same mountain as the actually winning the Champions League mountain. Those are two separate things. PSG did the former, but I think what this showed was that we still have a ways to go to accomplish the latter. Because getting into that Champions League final is one thing. Winning it is another. And what happened, I think, in that match was that when you get to the highest of high-level football, when you get to that mountaintop and you're in the in the high altitude of a game like that, your weaknesses get exposed. It's really hard to paper over the cracks against a team that is as good as Bayern Munich. And Bayern Munich may not have sort of the star power to that degree or the sort of the Neymar Mbappe pedigree of of top flight professional soccer player. But what they have is a team that has pretty much no hole. And performance enhancing drugs, allegedly. I'm just kidding. Have you seen some of the pictures of their players like before and after? It's crazy. Boy, maybe it would be nice if we had some of that so that our guys wouldn't go down to muscle injuries every five minutes. But anywho. You have muscles on top of muscles. So when you tear one, you've got like, it's almost like shark teeth. That's how Byron is. They tear a muscle. But they got four more behind it. They're ready to go. If they tear a muscle, they just grit their teeth and <laughs> bite on a stop or something and, and go through it. But um, no, but, but there's no real hole there. I mean, maybe their defensive maybe their center backs are maybe the weakest part of the team, but I think the way they play sort of makes up for some of that. But what you saw was that PSG had a right back sized hole and Bayern Munich deliberately maliciously without regard for human life exploited that weakness over and over and over and over and over the entire match. I don't think Serge Gnabry touched the ball five times. They just didn't even bother going down that side. They didn't have to. They just went down the left. They just put Coman and Davies on the left, and they just forced Kerr to defend the entire match. There was never a threat to go forward. So PSG never had the ability to really stretch the field and get Bayern's back line off of them. So once they were able to play that high line, they were able to press PSG in a way where PSG couldn't really build out of the back in the way that they would want to. And anytime they played a long ball, those long balls are always sort of, you know, tough propositions to begin with. And Bayern were just able to make plays on it. And it showed that, yes, Tilo, and I don't blame Tilo Kerr one bit for any of it because he's not a right back. That's not even his he position. Is a, he is a center back, you know, he's a center back in a back four, and then he's that, he could be a center back in a back three. But he's really not a full back where you can get him bombing forward and he can make runs and he can make passes 
and he can. There's three things that a fullback, a, a complete fullback, needs to be able to do. You need to be able to defend. You need to be able to work in the link-up play, and you have to be able to make runs. Mm-hmm. And maybe the fourth thing would be cross. So if there's the four things you need to be able to do. Tilo Kara can do one of those things really well. I think he can pass half decently. The other stuff he just doesn't have. And that hurts when you're playing a team like Bayern Munich, who have all the pieces, who can bring Kingsley Coman on specifically for that matchup, and PSG really didn't have an answer for it. I think if you wanted to get into a larger discussion, I think that Thomas Tuchel maybe didn't do all he could to sort of neutralize that and maybe switch formation slightly, maybe go to a back three to bring on somebody like a Kurzawa to play off the wing to give them something going forward, but to Mm -hmm. keep some of the defensive shape. There's things that could have been done, but I still think at the end of the day, that hole was going to be there. And I don't want to oversimplify the game to a, you know, I really don't want to completely oversimplify it, but I think that's what it came down to. I think PSG had a huge weakness in a key position. You look at where the modern game is, you have to have two of them. You can't have one good fullback and the other guy isn't any good. You have to have two guys that can play at that position. And PSG just have a huge hole there. And I'll probably preempt some of the questions that we'll have mm-hmm. by just saying this. I'll, I'll get into more detail when I'm sure it'll be asked. PSG's number one priority should be to get 70, 80 million euros together and buy the best right back they can possibly get on the market. Because that's the piece that was missing. It was clear it was missing. They, the balance was off. And you can't rely on Neymar and Mbappe to do everything. Mm-hmm. Everything they had to do was hard. There were no easy attempts. When you have a guy that can play right back like a Joshua Kimmich, literally all Kimmich has to do is just put a ball in the box. Not, not, nothing complicated, no super passes, no special, you know, no special link-up play. All it is, he just gets the ball, has space, little dink into the box, and Coman just has to put his head on it. That's as easy a goal as you can get, and PSG don't get easy goals. That's why they struggle to score in this Champions League, um, you know, in, this, in the Champions League knockout rounds this year. It's, it's the exact reason why. Every goal is difficult. Everything is hard to get. There's, you know, the only, the easiest goals they scored were against Leipzig. Everything else was hard. Like they had to really work to get them. And if you can play with a right back that could just put in a goddamn cross <laughs> one time, you have a chance to just get easy goals. And you saw that match. Byron weren't, you know. They had moments where they were dominating, but it wasn't like they dominated the whole match. A lot of it was more 50-50 with Bayern having the clear advantage at certain intervals in the game. But, you know, Bayern weren't putting eight. Bayern didn't put 10 shots on goal. They put like four. I think they were tied, honestly. I think shots on goal were something like five to four or six to five. Well, it yeah, it was uh, total shots is 10 to 12 with Bayern in the league. But, you know, PSG actually had more shots on goal, three to two. So it wasn't that Bayern were just peppering PSG's net. It's that Bayern got the easy chance and PSG didn't. Mm-hmm. And 
the chances PSG had were rushed. They were in hectic situations, like that Mbappe chance at the end of the first half. His feet weren't set. The ball just came to him. He's got to finish. He's got to get that off right away. The Neymar chance, which I thought was the best chance that Neuer makes that amazing save on, that was a tough chance that they couldn't get through. And then at the end of the match, you know, Chupa Moting is right there and he just couldn't get a foot to it. And I think that begged the question too, because we saw sort of at the end of the match that there was some issue of would, you know, Tomas Tuchel keep his job. And I feel like that sort of died down over the last week. <laughs> I don't think we've had that be as big a story. And I think if it were going to be a bigger story, then you would have seen it by now. But the not playing Mario Party thing was, I think, kind of baffling. I want to get I, your I, thoughts I, on that because I brought it up in the other podcast. You know, you just paid, what, $50 million for this guy. And you brought on Chupa Moting in a Champions League final when you're down a goal late in the game. Like, I know that Chupa Moting scored that, you know, goal against Atalanta, but... You know he he's not he doesn't have a contract and he's leaving and I I just wonder how Tuchel can justify not bringing Icardi in there needing a goal. I don't think he can. I don't think it was the right. I think it was the wrong decision. Mm-hmm. I think you bring on Icardi because maybe he gets on the end of one. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. and that's how you have to play it. If he's not going to start then he at least has to be your super sub off the bench. And you get five subs, so there's plenty of tactical... You you get some flexibility there. And I'm sure Leonardo didn't appreciate paying Mm -hmm. all this money guy. And then when you get into the the final and he's on the bench and he doesn't even come on. If If you recall there towards the end... PSG, I think it was Neymar played a ball into the box, and Chupa Moting was positioned pretty well, but he couldn't get his foot onto the ball to redirect it into the back of the net. Maybe if Icardi's there, maybe that's the late goal that we need right there. That's the idea. Mm-hmm. That's what you're you're looking to try to do. And I, and it's not it's not he should be fired for not doing it. I think it's more like, look. This team is only going to have a certain window, and you can't have a coach continuously make decisions like that. Mm-hmm. It, it just it flies in the face of the sporting director and how the sporting director puts the team together. If you're going to, you know, that's you know, the sporting director buys the players, and then the coach picks the players that play. I understand that, but there is a limit to that. There is a, there isn't the separation of church and state that you would you maybe want there to be. Like if the sporting director spends fifty million euros on a striker and you don't play him in the last two matches of a Champions League tournament, like that sort of breaks the wall down a bit. And yeah. I think it's put Tuchel on a bit of thin ice. I think mm-hmm. I, I think there's a there's a chance that if this September doesn't or October doesn't go right. Maybe if they lose the first Champions League match or something, maybe if there's... A, I think there's a chance that he leaves and they have to bring someone in in the middle of the year. I, I think that's where we are now. I think he's a bit on thin ice because while not a fireable offense, not bringing on a Cardi, I think it was wholly egregious. And I, I, I said this on Twitter, and I don't want to harp too much on it, but it's a slap in the face to the sporting director. Mm-hmm. 
it's a direct slap in the face. So to bring on a guy that's not even going to be on the team in 15 minutes, as the post. <laughs> He, he, yeah, he came on in the in the twentieth or uh, he came on in the eightieth minute, so he had twenty minutes to play. But if you just look at the bench, I mean, these are the players who didn't play a single minute. Idrissa Gay, who's been up and down, but like not a bad player. Pablo Sarabia, who scored against Real Madrid in the group stage, he he had a knack for scoring late goals, so he didn't play. Icardi, like we talked about, so like you need a goal, why not put Idrissa Gay, who helped set up that nice goal against Real Madrid? You got Sarabia, Icardi. Like, these are guys that you could have brought on, and instead you bring on Julian Draxler, who doesn't play at all. You bring on Chupa Moting, who's going to be in that 20 minutes as soon as the final whistle. He's not a PSG player anymore. Um, and, you know, Krizawa, fine, okay. Um, but I, I don't know how you justify Draxler and Chupa Moting. I, I just don't know how you justify that at all, and you leave the players that you did on the bench. It's outrageous. Well, I think the, I think the thing with... Draxler was that Idrissa. I think Idrissa Gay might have been more hurt than they let on. I think he might have, in, maybe in a game where they have the lead, he would have come on. But I think Tuchel was looking to get a guy on that could push forward with the attack. But you needed Again. a goal. You needed a goal, and Draxler came on seventy second minute. Why not go with your four attackers? I mean, this is the Champions League final. All your chips on the table. Bring on Sarabia. Go four at the top. You know, bring on a Cardi, whatever, and just go two in the midfield. And if you leak a goal or two, so what? It's the Champions League final. You gave it your all. You know, you're not playing for the return leg. I just don't understand this conservative approach and bringing on a guy who hasn't played all season, who has no interest really in playing. He just wants a paycheck and hang out with his girlfriend in Paris. I mean, no, no offense, Draxler, but that's what he's there for. It wasn't Thomas Tuchel's finest coaching hour. It just—I don't think there's any way to to spin this any other way. I, I don't think this was his finest hour, but I am willing to give him the start of the season to see if he's learned a lesson from this. Hopefully, it's the first time he's been in a match that big. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, like Hansi Flick had at least—you know—he'd been an assistant coach on that Germany World Cup team, so like he knew what was up. He knew what to do. I don't know if Tuchel is quite at that level yet, so we'll see. Uh, I I still am overall proud of the way oh, they yeah, play. Yeah, of course. Defensively, really good. I think that center-back-wise, they were great. Marquinhos was good. They did what they could, even like Paredes, who I think – I think it was clear that maybe Verratti should have come in that game sooner because I just don't think – Paredes cannot play out of a out of a press. Like that's not what he's good at. Like he has a very specific skill set, which is really good. Is when he when he has space, that guy can pick out a pass. Probably he's the, he might be better. He's probably better than Verratti at picking out passes when he has open space to do so. He's and good that, at picking a fight too. Yeah, he's got a little scrap <laughs> to him. But that that kind of that kind of we didn't need that in this game. They needed a bulldog that could beat a press with dribbling and with cunning, and they needed someone that could handle that. And Paredes just—I don't think he's that kind of player. I think he struggled in the first half overall. To you know, and then Marquinhos isn't that kind of player either. So you're playing with Herrera, who's not. Again, it just. I'm not going to blame it on the injuries, but it's just, it did hurt not having Verratti for the full 90 minutes. I think having Verratti would have helped. It would have maybe balanced it out a bit more, but I can't, I can't knock them too hard. I can't 
I, I don't even want to like get on the attack guys because the, the pressure that Neymar and Mbappe had to be perfect in that match, it's really hard for any player to, to reach that, especially when you're playing against a Bayern team that is just so relentless and they're so, you know, forward pressing. And the fact of the matter is they didn't give P- – they in the game plan they had, which is pretty much to ne- not really give PSG many chances at all, mm-hmm. worked out pretty well. Like, PSG didn't have enough ch- volume of chances to make it count. And let's also – we got to also say Mbappe was probably 85% healthy. I don't think he was 100%. Champions League final, no excuse. He no excuse, but he, he had an injured ankle. Like, no excuse, but you have to take that into account for his overall performance. It, and it's not even that I think he was bad. It's, he wasn't great, but it's it's hard when you're not consistently on the ball. It's mm-hmm. hard when you have to bend all the time. It's hard when the other team pins you in your own end for 60 minutes of the match. So it, it's hard for them to develop that rhythm. It's why they need a right back, because they need that ability to just spray a ball out to the right back and let the right back pick out a pass and let Neymar make a run and Mbappe make a run off of that. It's what Danny Alves did for them for a couple of years. The problem was Danny Alves <laughs> was ancient and he couldn't do it consistently. So you didn't have that consistency and then he couldn't get back and defend. Right. Because so he was, was he was so old. Munier gave you the ability to make the run, but then he couldn't do the passing or the defending. So PSG for years have had right backs who are that do two fourths of the job or one fourth of the job. And probably the closest complete fullback they had was Serge Aurier, but mm-hmm. he was just such a head case. He's back that, on the market, apparently, if we if we want him. And he loves Paris, so we could bring him back. But he's just such a head case that he, didn't, he was just not – again, you couldn't rely on the guy. Yeah. So I say, like, you know, really zero in and solve that right-back problem. That'll help tremendously. And then if you can just keep guys healthy, for God's sake, <laughs> and have a team that gets rhythm, and you don't have to worry about who's playing every week, right? this team has a great shot of getting back there. Absolutely. They're one of the best teams in Europe. And th- if this proved nothing, it's that PSG are legitimate Champions League contenders. If, he, so if, like- if you say that Bayern Munich is the best team in the world, and I think people are prepared to say that right now, if you look at the two lineups, there's not a whole lot of areas where you say, you know, Di Maria, you know, Nabry is so much better than Di Maria or Lewandowski is so much better than Neymar and Mbappe. Like the teams are equal. The place, the position, like you're saying, where there's the biggest gap. And I'm so, I love Bernat, but I'm going to throw him in there. When you look at the left back and right back compared to theirs and they have Davies and Kimmich, I mean, it's that's a clear advantage. Absolutely. And so... They need to upgrade, I would argue, probably both of those. I love Bernat, but I don't know if he can be do this for another year at this high level. I think, and you have Kurzawa, and I'm a little iffy on him as well. So, I mean, if we could find two fullbacks, I, I would love that. But absolutely, the right back needs to be addressed because that is the glaring hole. And it's no, you know, you know, Kerr should hold his head up. It's not his position, and he did the best he could. Yeah, it's just, it, it's it's got to be frustrating for Kerr, for too, because, like, I think Tilo Kerr has talent. I think he's a good, good physical build, can move, can defend really well. I just, again, he's just playing out of position. And we, we may talk about sort of Tiago Silva, and mm-hmm. I think it was necessary to get him to, I think it was just the end of that cycle. Yeah. And you can't continually rely on Tiago Silva to save you every time. So 
I think there's going to be opportunities for Kara to play a natural position now. And there's, there is squad depth here. It's mm-hmm. not, this team is not devoid of squad depth. It has guys that it can bring on. It's just when you don't have a right back, when you literally don't have a guy that you can play there and you have to move a player out of position, it stretches everything else out pretty thin. So if you can fix that, you bring Tilo Care back to where he's supposed to be, then you have two guys for every position, and now you at least have the you've built that squad up a little bit. And once you do that, you can sort of worry about the back end of the roster, mm-hmm. where you can maybe switch out Draxler for a more traditional midfielder and then find a guy that can replace Chupa Moting that can maybe play a little more on the wing and has some speed. We'll get to that, I guess, when we talk about transfers, but Mm -hmm. they're not that far off. They showed that they're one goal away, and they did everything they could possibly do. I think they maxed out their talent in that run. I don't think they could have done any better than they did. Maybe if things went slightly different, they could have won the game, maybe in sort of a surprise way, but like, I can't I can't complain. I can't get up in arms and be mad about this because it's just they did what they needed to do. It just wasn't enough. Yeah, I think it was the first time in a long time um, that I've seen this PSG team just overmatch. Like you could just tell on the pitch that Bayern was just better. They had 60 some percent of the possession and PSG were just kind of you know, hoping that they would score a goal, whereas Bayern had a plan to score a goal. We haven't seen that really this whole Champions League run this season. So that really tells you their main competition is going to be Bayern again next season. I don't think Real Madrid is going to be all that great. We know what Barcelona is. Chelsea could be a little challenging. They've added some nice pieces. You know, there's some Premier League teams that will be improved. But I think, you know, and we've got a piece that just went up on um, uh, PSG Talk where the Bayern Munich chairman predicts that PSG will win the Champions League soon. I think everyone knows that they're coming, and I think this is kind of their situation where they they failed in the Champions League final, and you kind of have to fall before you get back up. And so they've had... This was a big stepping stone this season, so I think next season, which could be the final season of having Neymar and Mbappe, I think we're really primed for something historical next season where we can get back to this point. But it it all depends on whether they can fill that right back position and potentially the manager we saw that Tuchel may not be a big game manager he made a couple mistakes here so if he gets out to a slow start does does Leonardo make a between, move I know but there's a difference between the games he's managed before which are you know big games he's done mm-hmm. really great work in some really big games the problem is the Champions League final is just a different level mm-hmm. like He'd never been at that level, and I understand. Uh, like to me, I just I, I'm not willing to make that. Yet. Well, how how, I, how much do you? Let me ask you. How much do you put into the fact that this was one game playoff basically, and no fans? So next season you're going to have two legs and fans. You're going to have a lot more adversity. Does, I mean, we're giving Tuco a lot of credit for getting here this season, but this was a unique season. Well, uh, okay. So the round of sixteen was two legs. True. The only. You know, they they play two less games than they normally would. Mm-hmm. And let's be clear, they they could have played RB Leipzig 270 <laughs> minutes. They would have beaten them. 
They would have. They would have. They were going to beat Leipzig. But that's the other and, thing. He got here with two relatively easier games: Atalanta and Leipzig. He didn't have to go through, you know, Real Madrid and Manchester City to get to well, the final. Manchester City was that much of a challenge. To yeah, that's true. To, like Barcelona was that much of a challenge. Look, the two best teams got there, and the best team won. Mm-hmm. It's not not much more complicated than that. Yeah. It's just you think that. You know, you have to see over the next couple months, is Tomas Tuchel learn, does he learn the lesson that I think he should learn, which is in a Champions League final, you have to be, you have to be quick mm-hmm. on your feet. You have to think like they, they had Verratti come on in the 60, in the 63rd minute, Byron score in the 59. Like maybe I think, and I thought Verratti helped didn't help them that much because they were down a goal. But imagine if they get Verratti on in the 55th minute, mm-hmm. maybe it changes the game in a way where Bayern don't get that sort of sustained pressure that led to the goal. And then maybe you're tied going late into that match. And then it's a free-for-all and then it's anybody's game. So that that bit of timing and understanding the way a game is going and understanding that you have to sometimes make a move before you want to to save the game. And I don't know if bringing Verratti on earlier would have saved the match, but I don't think it would have hurt. And it's things like that where a coach like Tomas Tuchel has to learn that lesson. And you have to be willing to pull that trigger and do something that's against your instinct or do something that's against your plan to better speak to your instinct. And I... I think there was too much scripted. I think he was too stubborn to stay with what they were doing when it was clear that it wasn't working. And I think you had enough evidence at that point to say, we got to change this up a little bit. And then when he did, it was too late. So we'll see. I think he'll get the first few games of the Champions League. If PSG look like they're struggling, I think they'll pull the plug on it and they'll go somewhere else. Because I don't think they can be... I don't think they can afford to to mess around in this case. Like they should ease through whatever group stage they're going to be in. They should be easily through the round of sixteen. They should be a, a quarterfinal semi. They should at mm-hmm. least be a semifinal team, depending on who you play. It's it, sometimes it's difficult to, to to gauge that, but I think the expectations now is that this team should be in the semifinals close to every year or at least near it, or at least a contender for that. And if it looks like they're not going to be that, I don't think you can afford to wait and see if Tuchel magically figures it out. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And, you know, you've got Pochettino still out there, right? I'm just trying to think of potential managers. I still think it's Allegri. I think Allegri's Mm -hmm. the guy. I I think he knows how to manage that kind of high caliber player. I think he knows how to win. I think he knows how to tactically adjust. I think he's been to these big matches. I think he's ready to sort of come back. I think Allegri's your first look there. I think the Italy connection doesn't hurt. Mm-hmm. And to me, Pochettino's a certain type of manager. I don't think PSG need that kind of manager. They don't have a bunch of, you know, wide-eyed 22-year-olds. They need to you know, mold or, or misfits. This is a this is a Champions League team. Mm-hmm. This is these are experienced veterans. 
Like you need a veteran coach that can, you know, that guy, that guy coached Andrea Pirlo and Barzali and Bonucci and, you know, Manzukic. That guy, that guy coached experienced top level professional football teams. And you need somebody that can do that. Mm-hmm. And can manage the egos and isn't going to get overwhelmed and isn't going to be a caretaker. You need that kind of manager. I, I wonder. I'm get- always. I'm always intrigued by Arsene Wenger. I know he had a rough couple years, but he's he's the experienced manager you're talking about. He, you know, the Invincibles. You know, in the heyday of Arsenal, he won a lot. Got to a Champions League final. You know, what could he do with this team? That was 20 years ago. Still, I mean. It's football. The game, the rules are still the same. You know, Neymar and him no. m- might be a little <laughs> culture clash, but I think he's well respected. I think Mbappe would love playing under him. Maybe, but they need to play defense, and mm-hmm. Arsenal played defense the last ten years he was there. They they have to play defense, and the one thing Tuchel's done really well. It's surprising is that he has played. He has gotten this team to play defense. Oh yeah, that's true. If I think he was the best team have- in the Champions League defensively, weren't they? Yeah, I called them the best defense on the continent, and I stand by that. It's pretty good. Kimpembe is a big part of that. But let's talk offense. Let's switch gears a little bit. I want to talk about the rumor. Everyone's talking about it. It broke, what, two or three days ago. Lionel Messi apparently went in and said he wants he wants out of Barcelona. Absolutely love to hear that. And, of course, PSG were thrown into the mix as a team potentially he could go to. Obviously, they've got the money to hope, you know, one of the few teams who could afford him. Um, you've got the Neymar connection. You've got the Di Maria Paredes connection with the Argentina national team. So there's a lot of reasons why PSG makes sense. The rumor, you know, seems logical. Um, Manchester City seems to be the other team is probably the, the leader to sign Messi just with Pep being there. So first of all, give me your overall thoughts when, when you saw that news break and do you think PSG should sign Messi? Should they go for him? Or as we talked about, the right back position seems to be more of an issue. Can they do both? I don't know. To take the the Messi topic any any way you want to go. Well, first of all, it couldn't happen to a nicer team. And second of all, um, it, from a PSG perspective, it doesn't hurt to ask. It doesn't hurt to explore it. I mean, the guys a top two player in the history of the sport and yes uh marketing and and all that does come into play here when you have a chance to have a Neymar, Messi and Mbappe front three which again it'd be like the Harlem Globetrotters something along that line and it, it, in theory, it would be wonderful and magnificent. Now, obviously, there's clear obstacles for that happening, and there's probably decent reasons why it shouldn't. But not to overcomplicate this, and I'm not going to, they should at least ask. Why not ask? The worst he can do is say no. And as long as he's not playing for that filthy Barcelona anymore, and we, I could actually root for him, you know, that'd be... I, I'd root for him on Manchester City. I wouldn't mind seeing them take that title back from Liverpool. That'd be fun. You know, that'd be fun Premier League to watch. I, I would enjoy that. So it's not, I'm not hanging on, you know, pins and needles here waiting to see if Lionel Messi signs with PSG. It, it, you know, 
I, I again, I don't really see fiscally how it would work. I don't see how you could put all those guys on the field together. Who would wear the number ten? <laughs> all this, all these questions about it. It's sort of fun fantasy booking, yeah. but it isn't. It isn't real. Like it isn't. I don't think it makes sense. But again, if I'm Leonardo, I'm like, why not make the call and say, hey, we'd like to have them. Who would? I mean, you, and if, yeah, go ahead. If uh, if the money works somehow, and he's and, and he can leave on a free, and let's say he decided to take like a major pay cut, you know, just to play with Neymar and Mbappe, then you'd be like, eh, <laughs> you know, might as well try it. We have the we have the money left over from Silva, Cavani, and Munier leaving, so we got we got a decent chunk of salary. So if he wants to come for free and paid 30 million euros or something why not <laughs> hey i'm we got that jordan we got yeah. that jordan money you got why, the jordan why money? Not? if barcelona can use nike to pay for de Jong, why can't we use nike or jordan you know they're basically the same but why can't we use them to, to get messy so the way i think about it is you know you've got the world cup in qatar coming up in two years if you can get messy with Neymar and Mbappe, what a massive advertising vehicle PSG would be for Qatar, right? They've got the best players on the planet, all in their team. Well, it, the problem would be that you could only do it for one year. So you, because, you don't think he would sign multi, multi-year? No, because the reason you could only do it for one year is because then Mbappe would, because you'd have to you'd have to finance that, and if it, you, you have to. Either you you either have to sign Killian Mbappe to an extension where you pay him forty to fifty million euros a year, or you sign Messi and pay him thirty to forty million euros a year, or whatever the hell it would be worth, and then you wouldn't have the money to to do the Mbappe deal. I don't think those three could play for more than a year together before you, you know, before uh, Killian well, would move on. Let's, I don't think. They could. Let's be clear. Qatar can afford whatever they want. They could afford these players and their salaries. And as we've learned, financial fair play is bullshit. It doesn't work. Manchester City got out of it. PSG got out of it. Who cares about that? And I'm just saying, if there's an opportunity, if Messi's like, hey, pay this price and I'm there, I think Qatar will and should do it. And worry about the ramifications later. Go to court. They've got the best lawyers, the best accountants in the world. Make it happen. I don't think you can do. I don't think you can mess with that again. I don't think it would be smart to do that again because if you really wanted to, you you have to get something. You know, if you if you sign Messi for three years, you do a year of Messi, Mbappe, Neymar. At some point, you can't keep those three on the same team for a whole. We'll say Mbappe long. leaves leaves the next year, and then you have Neymar and Messi. Yeah. No, that's what you would do. Yeah. Like, if they signed Messi, it'd be a clear sign that Mbappe's not re-signing. Because there's no reason to to put to allocate resources when you need them for a long-term Killian Mbappe deal. But that's mm-hmm. that's just fantasy nonsense. I think City's the, the option because I think what they can do is they can, they can do a sort of swap kind of thing. They can give Barcelona some pieces mm-hmm. that, you know, I think... They they can give Barcelona some pieces that might be attractive to them, but Barca. Let's be clear, Barcelona are in a really bad situation, and I don't think there's anyone really outside of Catalonia that, that is very sympathetic to Barcelona's plight here. I mean, this is four years of utter failure, and mismanagement by a you know a 
board that is so arrogant that they couldn't even mm. learn the lesson of why they lost Neymar in the first place. And they just kept making the same mistake over and over and over again until Messi just said, you know, I'm, I'm tired of this. Like, why am I breaking my back for this team that has no idea how to put players around me, like giving me, you know, Usman Dembele and Antoine Griezmann and these guys that just don't fit. They don't work in that system. They don't, they don't, they don't have a coach that knows really what they're doing. They hired a guy basically because he said he was going to play like Barcelona and they, they, you know, they hold out, they hold up these 25, how long has Johan Cruyff been dead? Oh God, I can Google it. <laughs> He's been, how long has he not been at Barcelona? Let's put it like that. I don't know when he died, but he hasn't been at Barcelona for like 20 years. And it's like, are we still doing this? He like, died, died 2016. Okay, so it wasn't that long ago, but you know, but how long since he was a Barcelona coach? How long ago was that? Uh, looking it up here, uh, return as Barcelona manager, eighty-eight, eighty-nine, something like that. Wait, a minute, so he hasn't been a Barcelona manager for thirty years? I mean, I'm looking at it right here. It says Barcelona, nineteen seventy-three, nineteen seventy. Oh wait, that might be the team. He, uh, Okay, here we go. Managed. Uh, 1988 to 1996. That's my quick Wikipedia research. Five years ago. And we're still, like, treating this guy as if he was, like, a football god and that we're making our decision based on what Johan Cruyff would do. (laughs) Does anyone not see a problem with this? Like, Like, Barcelona have driven themselves into this, into this ditch because they aren't forward thinking because they're not what PSG are. Mm -hmm. And I, 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 in 2017 and 2018, I was really trying to drill home that, that contrast because it was important. And I was, you know, ahead of the time a little bit, but the idea is simple. PSG think forward. Mm-hmm. Barcelona think backwards. And it's not just Barcelona. You look at several teams, Manchester United, you know, when Ferguson left, they were still, oh, our history. And they just, they went down and they're starting to crawl back out. You know, Arsenal, same thing. Barcelona now are experienced. These teams, AC Milan is another one. These teams are like, our history, look at our history, blah, blah, blah. Those guys aren't walking through the door anymore. And if you're not like PSG, like Manchester City, thinking forward, trying to be innovative, using your financial resources to invest in an MLS team or state-of-the-art training facilities and scouting, you know, like the, the Paris suburbs to get new talent. If you're not doing these things and putting together a global brand and thinking forward and getting all these commercial dollars coming in, and you're just like, well, we had Sir Alex Ferguson, like you're going to get left behind because he's not walking through the door anymore. Well, yeah, and it's even more than that. I think it's it's more about, you know, it's an arrogance mm. of we can just – you know, it's the arrogance that everyone wants to play for us, right? And we'll they'll fit our system, and it's like Usman Dembele just didn't work. No, Greece isn't working really. Um, now, you know, they they just and then you keep a core of guys into their thirties, and this is my whole point on, and we'll maybe transition here a bit. This is why I'm I think Thiago Silva leaving was the right call. Mm-hmm. It's because you can't. 
you can't build your team around 30 year olds especially people in their mid 30s like messi's 33 k's 32 or 33 um busquets jordi alba luis suarez all in their 30s like that's not how soccer works Mm -hmm. you don't have guys in their 30s winning champions leagues like you don't have a team of majority 30 year olds winning the champions league look at Bayern. they're all young guys on that on that roster they are all in their 20s i think uh, Lewandowski might be 30 yeah i think he's like 33 32 Muller might be so, so like Muller's in his 30s Boateng was old but he got injured like in the first 10 minutes so that's yeah, what happens Boateng, Muller, and Lewandowski and the goalie I don't count because a goalie can be however old he wants. Goalie doesn't work the same way as a as an outfield position. But there's, there's still a chance you, for my goalie career. Yeah, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> you can't have it. You can't have that many thirty year olds. You just can't. And if I'm PSG, I'm like, look, Thiago Silva's given everything he can. He's had his moments where I, I think he's been less than stellar. I don't think he's always been the best leader. Mm-hmm. I think he's sometimes been a bit timid in the way he's marshaled that back line. But no one can doubt his heart. No one can doubt his intensity and his spirit, I think. And the guy was one of the best center backs in the world for years. And PSG got to have him. And he got to, and you, you have to live with those memories. You can't continue to bring him out there and give him 10 million a year at 36, 37 years old. Look at the deal he signed with Chelsea. It's just a one-year deal. It's not like he's signing any three-year deals anytime soon. So you saw that Preston Kimpembe, I think, has officially you know, developed into being the full-time starter. And we can get Marquinhos to go back and play his position again bring in another midfielder either to fill depth or to start. And now you've balanced your team out in a better way, as opposed to forcing Marquinhos to play midfield when he's not really a midfielder. So I think this is good overall. I think it's good for Thiago Silva to have another adventure in Europe. Chelsea are a good young team. He's a guy that can give them experience and can teach them some stuff. And, you know, it's. I think it's a good move all around. I think everyone wins. I think it's better when you have these kind of deals where everybody wins. And I think in this case, this case, everyone wins. Everyone wins, except in the Champions League final. But in this case, absolutely. Um, we've got a few minutes here left in the show, so I want to get some of these Twitter questions out of the way. Um, as you mentioned earlier, right back is definitely very much on our uh, followers' minds. So this one comes from... A friend of the pod at PSG AJ, and he wants to know what who is your top transfer picks for right back in midfield. Me, I like um, Dest, the the U.S. national team right back player, um, right back at Ajax. I like him a lot. I also like Pereira at um, Leicester City, and Milinkovic Savic. I think he's going to be pricey, but I think he would be great in midfield um, if we move Marquinhos back. I think we'll need to bring in another midfielder. So, in a perfect world, those would be my two picks. But what do you think? I think it's going to be either. I think they they talk about Pavard. Pavard's mm. not a bad option, but I don't think he should be your your top option. I think the the, the one that makes sense is Ricardo Pereira because mm-hmm. Leicester aren't going to be in the Champions League this year. I think Ricardo Pereira has gotten to a point where he can move on in his career, and if you give Leicester seventy million, I don't think they say no. 
you just you make the move, you get you get that's a quality top ten right back in the world, and it fills your position. It fills the need. It from day one, it fills the need, and I think that's where you go with that. I think mm-hmm. midfield is interesting because you have Verratti, Predis, Gouillet, and then you would need you got Herrera. Herrera. Yeah, you need another guy. So somebody like a Marcelo Brozovic hmm. from Inter Milan makes some sense. And, you know, I don't know if you need a top level Milinkovic Savage pain, you know, because Lazio just seemed like a pain in the ass to deal with. <laughs> so I, I, I think that it might make sense to just get a guy that can be in the rotation because Verratti's going to start, Paredes is going to start half the games, Gouye is going to start some of the games. You're going to get a constant rotation at that position besides Verratti. And Verratti always gets hurt anyway, so you'll get a rotation that way. Herrera proved that he's still valuable, I think, as a as a midfielder. Mm-hmm. So if you get one more guy in there, like a Brozovic, I think that could be a good balance to strike of a guy that you can get in there. I like that's good uh, out of nowhere kind of pick under the radar. I like that. Um, speaking, you know, midfield, we just talked about maybe Marquinhos moving back, but this one comes from at Luke Van Seven wants to know thoughts on where to play Marquinhos next season. I love him in the midfield, but now with Silva gone, I think he needs to play in the back alongside Kempembe, but curious to hear your thoughts. I would agree with that, which I think if you do that, you absolutely need to bring in another midfielder. I think, you know, shoot for the stars, get a big star and bring them in. You think maybe more under the radar midfield pick, but do you think we'll see a lot of Marquinhos in the midfield next season? No, I hope not. Yeah, I, I, it's it's a des- it was a move they did in desperation. I understood why they did it, but you just he's he's a center back. Like you need the. I think him and him and Kimpembe are good starting center back pair. Why screw with that? Like you have a solid good center back pairing that you can play with for the next five years. Why mess with that? Why keep moving him back and forth? Put him at center back. You have Kerr and Diallo to back them up. That seems logical to me. I don't know why you mess with that. You can get a guy that's more of a classical midfielder and try to shoehorn Marquinhos there when you don't have to. The reason they had to do it this year is because they had to go to a they had to get out of the four two two. They had to get out of the four four two because Mbappe got hurt. So they had to go to that 4-3-3 and they needed another midfielder and they wanted to keep Marquinhos on the field and get Kimpembe on the field. So they had to put them all on the same. Now that Silva's not there, you don't have to do that anymore. So to answer the question, yeah, Marquinhos is center back. He's going to play center back and they're going to have to, they're going to have to get that right back. They're going to have to get another midfielder and and then I would say probably have to get somebody to spell one of the upfront attack players because they don't have enough attacking. Pl- they don't have a. They don't have a. They need Chupo Moting's replacement. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. We need a backup striker or maybe a starting striker if if uh, Tuchel's not going to play Icardi. Um, this one comes from at PSG underscore Qatar HQ. Uh, they want to know thoughts on right back, which we've talked. And someone had suggested Conrad Lamer from RB Leipzig. I don't know about him, but I mean, Leipzig has a lot of really young players that I really like a lot. 
you know, Sabitzer's one. Um, I even wouldn't mind a little bit of Tyler Adams maybe coming in. Forsberg is really good. Um, Mukiele, I like him a lot. So, I mean, they, they've got some really good players both in midfield and defense. So maybe yeah, we um, can get a couple. But what do you think? Yeah, sorry. Mukiele would be the other guy at, yeah. if, at right back that you, you, would, you would think you could go for. I'm – yeah, I, I don't know about that other guy. I, I, I think – I think Mukiele works. I think you need a guy that's more close to ready than not. I don't think you can afford to have a project there. If you if you want to put a project at right back, just have Colin Dagba play. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. Like, yeah. What you want, but you can't have that right now. You have to you, you have to be ruthless, and you have to get guys that are you know are going to step in day one. That should be the goal. It shouldn't be you know all we fights for a spot. It's no. That's the right back. He's there to play right back. That's what they have to be thinking. It can't be sort of a rotational guy because they've done that too much. Mm-hmm. Like, but you know, yeah, that's, I would say that's where I would go with that. Yeah, no, it, it's tough. I mean, it's such an important position in world football, and there's only so many world class ones to go around. But PSG maybe getting to the final, maybe they can convince a player like Pereira to come down from Leicester City. He's coming off a pretty serious knee injury, but you know look at him, you know, have a medical, see where he stands. And I think he would be the player to go to. But I think Leipzig has some right backs and defenders that are on the cusp of becoming world class. And maybe you can get them for a good price. And um, I'm sure Leipzig would be more than willing to sell. So, um, and all right, so let's get out of here on this last question. This one comes from at official Hernandez. Um, They want to know, seeing as Chelsea is rebuilding their squad and with Barca also bracing for a revamp, do you think PSG should do the same? If you look at the squad, PSG have players that have been at the club for five plus years and some players that are subpar. I'll give you my quick answer. I think we won't see a revamp or anything like that this season. I think they're going to run it back almost with the same squad with a few minor additions here and there. The big one being maybe right back, maybe messy if things go crazy. But I think after next season is when you're going to start seeing maybe a mass exodus, you know, sell Mbappe if things don't work out in the Champions League and then use that money and reinvest and rebuild your team and buy whoever the big up and coming players are and and maybe a couple older stars. So I I think we got one more year of this current squad before we flip it over. What do you think? Um, One to two. One to two. Mm -hmm. And you you can't. Here's the the thing I'll, I'll i'll give a simple answer to that you can't start rebuilding the squad until you get money for either mbappe or name mm-hmm. you can't actually turn the squad over until you make that transfer if you do ever make it if you sign mbappe or neymar to long-term deals then you're stuck with those salaries and in that case you're just sort of putting pieces in yeah. and you're not rebuilding the squad the only way you actually would rebuild the roster is if one of those guys left then you could get enough money and then you could invest that money back into the team. So that would be the, um, that could be the way to do it. I mean, if you, but in, I don't, in next year, if you sell Mbappe, that's going to be like 250, 275 million euro. I mean, you, you could buy a lot of players with that kind of money. You could, and you could, you also could blow it like Barcelona did. <laughs> that's true. We could buy Osman Dembele. That money, you'd have to make that call months before you did the move. Yeah, you'd have to have the targets lined up. The thing that screwed Barcelona over was that they it happened in August and they had like 27 days to spend all the money. Like that, 
Is it was that movie Brewster's? Is that Brewster's Millions or something? I never seen they, that. Yeah, it was like a Richard Pryor movie or something where they had to, the guy had to spend a million dollars in like thirty days or or something. It was a, it was it was something like that. But that's where it was with with Barcelona. You have to spend all this money and then you buy um, Dembele and then you buy Coutinho and then it doesn't work and you you set your roster back you know five years doing that so yeah if you're going to rebuild you have to be it has to be a concerted effort you can't rebuild on the fly you have to know you're going to do it you have to figure out who you're going to get you have to make the the big deal to get one of those big players out and then you have to use that money and spend it in key areas so you get so that you solve all the new levels of the team so yeah if we're talking rebuild we're still a year or two away from having that conversation Mm -hmm. And it might even be a complete, maybe, philosophy change. You sell those players, you keep that money, and like everyone in the media is saying, let's just sign all of the youth players, and then that's the that's the key to the uh, Champions League final. You know, just let all the young kids play. Sorry, that's the one I had to talk about. Because <laughs> I, I saw when, you know, I think Rob Barner, Jonathan Johnson, it... It, it is the biggest fucking canard that I hear over and over again that some people somehow buy this bullshit. And it's, you know, John's usually great, and he's great 99.5% of the time. But this was one where it's just like, no. It's not... There's no... The reason PSG didn't win the Champions League is not because they got rid of Kingsley Coman six years ago. And it's not indicative of anything. It's just doesn't it's a silly take. It's like, was Kingsley Coman ever really a PSG player in any meaningful way? And were you gonna like bench Javier Pastore, Zlatan and I don't know, Levesi? I mean who else was you know what I mean? Like you're not gonna play this kid over these guys. Like it doesn't make any sense. No, it's ridiculous. It's comical. It's like no major team in world football is held to this standard of we have to somehow get all of our academy guys minutes. Like, what world is this? What world are you from where this is an actual thing where, you know, your PSG are not going to do that. PSG have an academy for, you know, for, for a reason. They get some players out of it. They've gotten usage out of it on their first team, definitely. But Real Madrid don't have a, a great academy. Bayern Munich don't really have an academy to speak of. Manchester their City? Academy, their, no, their, Manchester City don't have an academy. But think about it, Bayern Munich's academy is basically the Bundesliga. <laughs> That's their academy. Like, they just take the best players out of the Bundesliga. That's what they do. Um, Barcelona haven't really... Barcelona have these sort of also rands that they're trying to turn into great stars now because they have nothing else. So they're, you know, they don't have any money. We're try- we all have to pretend that Ansu Fati is like the next, you know, Spanish player or something. Fatty. Or- I'm just oh, looking at this like 2013 14 PSG squad, and you've got, I mean, Jeremy Menez, whatever, uh, Edison Cavani, Zlatan. Um, who else was in this squad? Pastore. Uh, Lavezzi. I mean, at this stage in his career, Kingsley Coman was not going to play any meaningful minutes whatsoever. 
I don't know how you can blame PSG for letting him go. He wanted to go, and I'm sure maybe PSG didn't want to keep him, but like there was no place for him to play. You're not going to bench Cavani for Coman you, at that point in their career. Like this is yeah. back then. It's like Cavani was banging in 50 goals a season. Wait, hold on, Cavani. We have to give this young kid who hasn't done anything. We got to give him some minutes because in six years he's going to score in the in the Champions League final. You know, like it's just. No, it, 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 it's a it's a it's a standard that no other team is held to. No team is expected to keep their academy players. You know, no team is expected to do any of that at that high level. Juventus, do you know Juventus has no? I don't think they have. They barely have an academy. I don't think they do have one. It's like it. Also, it's this thing of the French teams are all supposed to have these great academies. That's the whole. That's the whole thing about it, which is the French teams are known for their academies, PSG, and it's it's sort of like an indictment that PSG are somehow not a French team that they don't actually value their academy in the same way as say OL and and uh, uh, Lille and all those but, other teams. But it's like it's just not. It's it's ridiculous. They it's, all, they all I, sell their players too. Like Leon sells I, I, their Awa. He's leaving. Like they all sell their players. Yeah, I, I just want to point out. I just wanted to make that point of how. To me, completely ridiculous it is to have this argument that PSG don't keep academy players when literally no one else keeps their academy players. No, but I will say the PSG could be a little bit more like Bayern and start using League on as their academy team. And whoever the up-and-coming players are, they need to go in and get them. Who cares if it ruins French football, whatever. It's ruined the Bundesliga, so Bayern wins all the time, so who cares? And it's helping them win Champions League finals. So maybe PSG needs to start shopping at their own grocery store instead of going to Syria and elsewhere and paying these huge transfer fees. Get the you know scout the hell out of league on get the best players, bring them in. Maybe that's what they should do. Well, they they could, they probably should, but the French teams don't want to do that because they it's a different culture than Germany than German football. It's just different. They don't they don't bow to the elite teams, the way that Leia Schalke does. Mm-hmm. So just damn not you, Schalke. Do. Damn you. Have some damn pride, Schalke. Come on. Uh, Leverkusen. Dortmund. Well, Dortmund's like congratulating Bayern for winning the <laughs> champion. Like, what are you doing? Like, there's no. It's all basically for the, glo- the greater glory of Bayern Munich. And all the other clubs understand that. That Bayern's the, the head of the mafia, and they all understand that they have to pay their dues to the. <laughs> They all have to pay their dues to Mafia Don. And that's not how French football works. It's it's just it's not that kind of style. Yeah, that's a good that's a great point. I think uh, on that note, I think we've covered all of the topics. There's a lot to talk about being we're kind of in a lull period here, so I thought that was a good show. Um, you can find me at PSG Talk. We are sharing all of the content we're publishing. Um, we'll get this podcast up tonight slash early tomorrow morning. Uh, Mark, how can people find you on Twitter? They can find me at MarkDamon9. Fantastic. And as we mentioned, real quick, we've got the, the game against Lon on September 10th, followed by Marseille on September 13th. So that'll be an exciting game to look forward to. And uh, well, yeah, we'll have. Oh, go ahead. Beating Barcelona 8 2. Yeah. <laughs> That's that's gonna be, and I'll I'll eat crow if I if I'm wrong, but that's gonna be an ass whooping. Ooh, yeah, that, you know, whooping. They gonna <laughs> they gonna take Marseille to the woodshed and just whoop them. It's not gonna be. It's just 
If I were PSG, that's what I would think. There are not enough goals that they could score in that match. Yeah, this is one. I think it's at the Parc de Prince too. So this is one that I'm definitely one Mbappe to score like six goals. Just just go crazy, kid. Just score it well. I don't even care about their feelings. Make them cry. I don't care. And then after the game, talk a little shit to them too. You know, that Paye stunt that he did with his little star and, you know, whatever. And there's pictures of him wearing a PSG shirt and he desperately wanted to be in Paris. So screw that whole team. I'm really excited about that game. We'll have another podcast probably. Um, might be able to squeeze one in before, but we'll definitely cover that one for sure. Um, so look forward to that. Make sure you subscribe to the 1970. Make sure you subscribe to PSG Talking. Make sure to subscribe to all the podcasts. Check out the website. Check us out on YouTube, all the social media, all that good stuff. A lot coming your way. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time. All right, we'll for now.